Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, rugby fans. Welcome to another great episode of the Run Parcel Kick interview with your team here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And joining us, the man of the hour, we got Pete Steinberg. Pete, Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Ty. Thanks, Rob. Excited to be here. Excellent. Well, Pete, it's, yeah, I mean, it really is a great opportunity to be able to uh, share this platform with the fans who are so used to hearing your voice, but almost in a completely different manner. You as an MLR commentator, uh, you've got a tremendous background in USA Rugby Women's programs. Of course, we'll be looking into this throughout the course of this interview. But for those who are tuning in for the first time, we want to give you an opportunity to learn how this interview in the Run Parcel Kick works. So to be able to learn more about it, I'm going to hand you over to my colleague, Rob Hammerschmidt. So, Rob, take the floor. Thanks, Ty. First of all, before we get started and talk about how Run Passer Kick works, I'd just like to mention that, again, we're coming to the end of uh, Suicide Prevention Month. And remember how we kicked off this month for our fans out there. We were given away, courtesy of Chance Wegalewski, USA Eagle, and Rugby ATL prop, uh, a signed rugby ATL jersey to one of our viewers. And so later on in this episode, we'll be announcing who that individual is. But uh, this is definitely a great episode. We're giving away their jersey. We've uh, we've got uh, Pete Steinberg, uh, a voice that you've all heard if you follow the MLR. Um, and uh, don't forget, next month, we're going to be introducing something new. We're actually going to be raising awareness for breast cancer. We'll be launching a new campaign in conjunction with one of our sponsors, the Rugby Shop. Uh, And so stay tuned. Uh, Ty will be talking a little bit about uh, this venture and how we're going to raise and support uh, awareness for breast cancer, uh, support all the mothers, uh, the sisters, uh, the grandmothers, all the ladies in our lives. All the mother ruggers. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, the mother ruggers. So anyway, thanks for the plug. But Pete, this is how it's going to work, mate. Um, run pass or kick is simple. I'm going to throw a question. Ty might throw a question. We'll prompt the question with run pass or kick. At which point, after you've heard the question, you'll have the opportunity to either run with the question, pass the question, or kick the question. Just let us know what you're going to do. If you opt to run, it means you want to go forward and answer the question straight away. If you want to pass that question, it means that's ah, a little hot topic. You may not want to touch that one, so you're going to give it a pass. Or you can kick the question, put us on the back foot, maybe make us play the ball a little bit, have a little fun with us, and you can kick it to us, and we'll have to answer in the way we think you would answer. And you can even give us a grade. Uh, As a coach, you should be well used to uh, giving some players a grade uh, from your experience. So are you ready for the run, pass, or kick? I I don't know. I'm I'm not (laughs) sure, Rob. Like, I'll I'll be honest. This might be like this – 
This 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 might be harder than calling an MLR game. Right here, right? <laughs> Make it till you make it, my friend. That's been my motto. <laughs> just so just so all of the fans know, I have no idea what these questions are. I don't even know if they're MLR related. Like, <laughs> I've got no idea, and I'm putting myself open and saying, okay, oh, it's great. But but I get a chance to pass it. That's okay. All right, let's 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 go, Rob. Let's go, Ty. All right. Well, we got a we got an interesting one here that I that I concocted for this question. Run past or kick. Um, I'm 12 days older than you, so we're both old guys, and we're both, uh, you know, uh, in the zodiac. We're both Taurus, so we know that we're stubborn stubborn boys. Uh, do you occasionally lace up your boots only be to be reminded that you shouldn't have done so after the match is concluded? Run past or kick. Well, I'll I'll run with that one. Um... So uh, I played rugby. Um, so, like, Rob and I are coming up to 50. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, we both look much younger than Ty, who's 35. So I think yes, we're doing we do. well. And, Jay, inspired. You know, <laughs> man down. <laughs> so uh, I think that um, – so and, and I played, like, you know, um, I helped found a team in State College called the Happy Valley Barbarians 25 years ago that's still going. I played for them for a long time. Um, I played rugby kind of off and on, probably up until I was 40, more off than on, but no old boys. Um, my very first old boy games was at Sauronet Lake when I was um, 41. My very first over 35s game, I lasted two minutes, hurt my ankle so badly, I had to go to the hospital. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm done, right? I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not going to play anymore. But now I moved out to Colorado and Aspen Ruggerfest. There you uh, go. My wife, who has always gone as like a social, was like, you should go. So two years ago, I um, I did lace on the boots. I even trained a little bit because it's like really high, even though we're at 5,000 feet there. And um, uh, played in the over 45s. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, I've played some, I've been lucky enough to play with very good players. And I've lucky, and, and, I've, and I've played in games where I'm the best player. And I've always said that rugby's like drinking red wine, right? So I used to hate red wine growing up, never liked it until someone got me like a really good bottle of red wine. And I'm like, oh, gave me a glass. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And um, and then and then I could drink red wine. Like as soon as that, because that that because a crappy glass of red wine reminds you of the really good bottle. And so for me, even playing in the over 45s, yeah. Every, there were these little moments, right? Most most of it was really terrible rugby, a bunch of old guys out of shape. But every moment, like, you would hit a hole or you would pass someone or you would – okay, I didn't make any good hits. That's the one thing I would say. I didn't make no good hits in the Aspen Rugby Fest, right? But, like, like, you would do something and it would remind you of the great rugby that you played. So I have no regrets putting my boots on at the same time and I think I'm, I'm going to do it again. I think I'm done. That's what I like to hear. You know, I, I... – I get up most mornings and do a bit of training, whether it's on the bike or the treadmill, and all of it is totally focused on the on the chance that old boys rugby will happen for me again. So because <laughs> I don't like time and then rub. That's right. That's right. I, I you know I don't like to disappoint. I like to be able to again think that I'm still pretty close to what I was twenty years <laughs> so, ago. So my idea is so I watch I watch MLR and and yeah. the, and the plays like really good and and yeah. and. and you know, probably like I coached the Mid Atlantic Men um, after I played for them. I played for them for four years, and then I coached them for five years. And and, and for those five years that I was coaching, like I really had some eagerness to like, like because I'm like, look, I could put my boots on, and and I would be one of the better, you know, be a good player. I could help the team. 
But the reality is I could help the team for like 10 or 15 minutes. Right. Like it's actually, it's the physical fitness that, that, that really yeah. separates. And what's interesting for me, and this is one of the interesting things about MLR is that that's the big game that being in a professional um, training environment, like yeah. most of the, U.S. players in particular that are playing in MLR, their skills aren't going to get that much better. They'll, they'll get a little bit better. Um, their game understanding can improve a lot, but primarily they're physically going to be more prepared to play high-level rugby. So when I look at MLR, like I generally am like, I don't think I would have ever stepped out in front of these guys. Like, like, like you know, 20 years ago, I'd have been, like, I still wouldn't want to do it because those guys are bigger now than they yeah. were 20 years ago. They're fitter now. They like, it's just, it, it's, it's a different game. And so it's I think different. MLR, is really like up to the game in terms of the physical development of the athletes. Absolutely. Uh, and you talk about all of your experiences in coaching. Of co- Obviously, you were involved with the Eagles. Um, recently, uh, the USAR announced that they are exploring a bid for the Rugby World Cup 2027 with an eye on 2031 probably. We recently discussed the realities of USA hosting a Rugby World Cup on the rugby rant several weeks ago, can run pass or kick? Can the USAR be ready to host in anywhere from seven to ten years? And on the back of that, what are the most significant challenges that USAR has in order to do so? So, so this is like anyone that knows me, Ty and Rob is going to be like, it's all, this, this is all run. This is all running. Rugby. I'm going to run all the We like stuff, that. Right? We like that a lot. I'm going to play what's in front of me. I'm going to keep the ball in hand. That's right. So, Good running rugby. Um, so, so a couple, a couple of things about about my background. So, I, I, I had like you know, obviously a coaching background, but also I actually worked for USA Rugby for in a number of different roles. Right. I was the head of game development, overseeing youth, high school, and college rugby. I was um, the head of coach development. So, I know the organization pretty well. Um, and, and, and I understand how the organization works. And um, I, I think, th- I I don't think USA Rugby is the body that will host the World Cup because it's not for any like rugby body, right? It's, they actually create a separate organization, which will be called the Rugby World Cup 20, hope, we want it 31. We don't want it 2027, it's too soon for us. So 2031, like they'll set it up and, and they will work with USA Rugby. Can the U.S. host? The U.S. can host as the best facilities in the world. You know, and I know there's some concern about sort of like the timing, but, you know, you don't need actually that many really big stadiums, right? A lot right. of the games and World Cups are played in front of 20,000 people. We've got all these MLS stadiums. We can absolutely host it. I don't think that's the right question. And, and, and by the way, I think there's lots of challenges like making money, all that sort of stuff. Um, but logistically, administratively, we can host it. Can we make money on it? I don't know. We can definitely host it. I think the big challenge is, can we leverage it? Right? So the idea is, if you're going to host the 2031 World Cup and the Eagles don't make the quarters and aren't competitive, it's a wasted opportunity. Right? Mm -hmm. So so that's why I'm like 2031. So you say, okay, it's 2031. What we're really saying is, who are the 14-year-old, 15-year-old guys that are playing now? And how do we make them world-class in 10 years? Now, the challenge that USA Rugby has always had, and it was there when I, and I, you know, it was a challenge for me when I worked there. It was a challenge as a national team coach. The challenge is that we're really poor at making decisions. So we want to do everything for everyone, right? I, I did a strategic planning, like some of my background, or, or I have a consulting business on the side. So I did um, the strategic planning for the SBROs. 
um, when I was the head of youth in high school, that was like, um, we did the strategic plan that created the SBROs. So I did it a few years later, I did a, a strategic planning session for the SBROs as a, as a facilitator. And we were talking about, you know, they were saying, well, this USA Rugby should do this and USA Rugby should do that. It was in Houston around one of the international tests in Houston. And I was sitting there and, you know, um, Kurt Weaver was up there, like talking about what USA Rugby is going to do. And I was like, they need to do this. They need to do that. And I, I stopped and I said, okay. At that point, USA Rugby had $10 million in revenues, right? And served the America. So I, 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 I put my hand up and said, okay, let's, let's get a reality check. The NZRFU, New Zealand, has $120 million of revenue and serves a country the size of Houston. Of yeah. course, they can do all of these things for their members, right? They can do all of these things. We have a tenth of the revenue, right? And 10 times the population and way more than that than the distance. So the challenge that we have about 2031 is the, is the new USA rugby, like Phoenix coming out of, out of the ashes. Are they able to say, we're going to not do some things and we're going to make some choices so we can strategically be successful in 2031, which allows us, which for me would be like, who are the top 114 players in America, like 14, 15, 16-year-old players in America, and we're going to put a ton of money into those guys and a ton of resource, and we're going to send them overseas, and we're going to do all this stuff because 2031 could be a game changer for us the way it was for women's soccer and the way it was for men's soccer. It could be that, but only if we're competitive. So, we, But that means someone else doesn't get that money. It's not like a, a magic pot of money. It means we're not going to do some things. And so my concern about 2031 is not that we, whether we can host it and make it successful because Americans actually do that better than anyone else. I actually have no, no concern about that. But it's whether rugby can leverage that opportunity because we're not going to get it again for another 20 years. And so, and so for me, it's, uh, if, if, if we're not willing to make some strategic choices as a community and being okay with that, right? Fewer coaching, education, less age grade, whatever, whatever we decide that is. If we're not willing to make some of those choices about where we invest our money to make sure 2031 is a game changer, then we shouldn't do it. If, if I can ask, you know, and this just came to the top of my head as you're saying this, because what you're saying makes a lot of sense. If the USAR would just communicate this strategic plan in anticipation of, of, Hope being a host country, whether it's 2031 or 20, you know, 35, if they just made that strategic vision and plan clear, here's why, here's what we're going to do, and here's why we're going to do it. Would it be better um, accepted by the rugby community that maybe they're not going to be able to make use of some of those resources? So, so you know, um, strategic planning is something that I do. Um, if you read a strategic plan and it doesn't make choices for you, then it's not really a strategic plan. And um, I've seen multiple strategic plans come out of USA Rugby. I mean, I was my first role with USA Rugby was in 1996. Uh, there are probably people listening to this that weren't born. I was on the very <laughs> first collegiate committee, USA Rugby Collegiate Committee. So I, I have a very long history with the organization. Amazing people work there and still work there. And I, and, and I think that, um, you know, I, I get very defensive about people that complain about USA Rugby for two reasons. One is USA Rugby isn't the people in Colorado. USA Rugby is us, right? We're all USA Rugby. And I don't care if you're a member or not, but but we're all part of that community. But but the challenge is every strategic plan we've had has, like, we've got, you know, 
you know, money coming to this group, money coming to that group, money coming because we're a membership organization. It's very difficult for us to be a membership organization and tell a part of the membership they're not going to get something. Right. But I agree with you. I think that if we actually had a strategic plan that was really tangible, right? Because our, 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 you know, our strategic plans have been fundamentally the same as every rugby union strategic plan <clears throat> ever. Right? You could just look at it. it; has the same pieces on it. There's nothing innovative about it, and 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 it's not a knock. That's just kind of like how people do strategic planning. Um, but I think that you could come up with something which was more novel and you could lay like, cause a strategic plan should lay out the argument and you could lay out the argument of what you're doing. I'm someone that comes, you know, spends a lot on the women's side. The argument might be, we're not going to put as much money into the women in, tw- you know, because of this, right. Will the community accept that? I don't know. I think, I think the challenge is that while I think we're all part of the USA rugby community, Everyone else often feels like they're part of a smaller community. Like I'm a, I'm a high school rugby person or I'm a women rugby player or I'm a club player. And that creates division. And that means that we're all fighting for a fixed pie as opposed to working right. to grow the pie. So I think there are some cultural shifts for, for that to happen, even if you laid all of that out, which is probably why USA Rugby has never done that. And never because they know people would be like, see. Uprising. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I don't know the answer to it. I mean, the answer to right. it is probably private funding, like the Golden Eagles. The answer is like, like you know, this, that's probably the answer as opposed to making some of those choices. But that's still money that could be going somewhere else. You know, so, right. so an example for us would be, would we want to give the sevens less funding to make sure 2031 is more successful? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, the same tough decisions that are being yeah, made perfect. around the world right now because of the current pandemic, right? So the right. seventh program uh, in England and Wales have been cut because they right. know that it's feeding the Olympics as as a unified uh, uh, team. So yeah, I mean, tough decisions all around for sure. But I guess in the end, it's it's where people see the most value, and if they're on board and they think that there's something in it for them, then yeah, you'll get a buy-in from everybody. But how often is that going to happen? So, you know, I, I think we should host 2031. I, I think we should do it. I just think that we need to recognize that if we are going to do it, like my, I think, and I think um, what World Rugby should do this, I think if, we, if we're going to host the men, we should host the women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, it, it should be a joint bid. And I think that we should leverage that in a way to help grow it because we actually have a lot of opportunity in women's rugby here, like probably a bigger opportunity than the rest of the world. We certainly have a better opportunity of being competitive, you know, and, and winning. And I think that, um, you know, I, I remember once there was someone at USA rugby that said to me, um, and we should probably get to another question, but they said to me once they're like, um, and this was a long time ago. So this was like 15 years ago. They said, what's the benefit that USA rugby gets if the women win the world cup? And that's in 15 years ago, the answer would have been not much. There really wouldn't have been, except for the players, it wouldn't have been on TV. No one would have heard about it, right? And so their argument was, so what, like, how should we fund it? Now I think it's a little bit different. Like the semi-final in 2017 was on NBC Sports. Um, the final, like, would, would have been on NBC Sports if the women had made it. If, if we host it, the final would probably be on NBC. Like, there is a benefit now. It's not as big, but there's also, it's, it's an easier catch for us to get. Right. Well, just before we move into our next question, I wanted to be able to take the opportunity, but uh, man, some insightful thoughts that you share there. And it really is, 
you know, a lot of those points we could almost just dig into just for an hour alone. And there's so much to unpack. Uh, so thanks again, you know, Pete, you bring in such a great perspective there, especially for somebody who's been so heavily entrenched in the right. game uh, at almost five, six different angles. Um, but, you know, one thing that certainly resonates is that you have a passion for what you do. Um, right. And that comes across on the screen. And I think that's what will be resonate with other people as well. And when we talk about passion, you know, one of the passions that that we have on our own show, not only is to be able to spread the game that we love, to be able to bring awareness to the great uh, work that's being done by folks like yourself and elsewhere, um, but we're also passionate about some causes that are close to us. So I wanted to be able to take an opportunity to be able to remind everybody that as we move into October, it is the month that's dedicated to breast cancer awareness. And as a part of that, we're working with the rugby shop. Uh, to be able to bring to you guys the opportunity to be able to purchase a shirt from our fan store at the Rugby Rant. You can see it online at therugbyshop.com. Go and check them out. Even if it's not ours, go and check everything else they have because they've recently become the official partner for Major League Rugby fan uh, gear. So go check them out. But more importantly, if you're going to give, give where it gives something back as well. And that's where 10% of the proceeds that are being derived from the sale of these cancer awareness, breast cancer awareness shirts that we're offering through the Rugby Rant. Uh, there's three shirts there. Check them out. Choose your favorite one. And 10% of those proceeds will be given to the season, uh, Susan G. Cummins uh, Foundation, which is for to help uh, bring awareness to the plight and to be able to offer assistance and research to prevent breast cancer awareness. So it's for a good cause. Go check it out. Again, that's the Rugby Rant store on the Rugby Rant. Uh, sorry, on the rugby shop. Uh, so thanks for that opportunity. And I, I didn't want to steer us too far away from the conversation. So thanks for that opportunity there, Pete. And I'll hand it back over to uh, Rob to be able to deliver the next run, parcel, kick question. Well, again, Ty hit it on the spot um, in talking about your experience and expertise, obviously on the USA uh, level from many different angles, but also on the media side of things. And I think it's where that's where the next question comes from. Run, pass, or kick. Uh, again, speaking of USA Rugby, how significant is it that the Eagles base camp will not uh, will will be in Glendale at Rugby Town? How significant? Okay, you know what? This is a great one. Like, like I, I always when I get tired on on a rugby field, like I play fly half full. Uh, like I'm a typical. Um, so, despite the accent, US born lived here most of my life but um scrum half back in the uk when i was growing up came over to the states um only played fly half if i saw that their scrum half had a good pass like they'd be like, what <laughs> play? like who's your scrum half oh yeah yeah i can play fly half um so uh, but um whenever i got tired i would kick so i've been talking about a bit this is a really good one to kick i think oh okay who are you, you going to kick that back to rob or are you going to oh, kick that over to no, me I'll kick it, uh... Well, Rob's the one's asking the question, so let me kick it back to Rob because he obviously has. Sure. <laughs> Damn, I thought I I thought I got out easy on that one. Um, no, um, I, 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 I we've talked about this on uh, the rugby ramp before, and um, there's been a couple different angles, but I think my perspective is that it's been a matter of convenience. I think it worked out. It was a deal that worked out really well for Rugby Town. Obviously, they lost, uh, you know, or they decided not to stay in the MLR for their own reasons. And so they pulled the Raptors out of the MLR. They kind of consolidated a little bit with the Gwinnemans game. And I think it was uh, part of a vision to really be uh, a central hub for rugby in the United States. And what better partner to do that with than USA Rugby? And for USA Rugby, it, it, 
I think it helps them quite a bit because they have the training facilities. I've never been there. Ty can actually speak to this. Um, they have the facilities, they have the training grounds, they have the offices, they have a lot of those pieces that the USAR really can take advantage of. And obviously, if it was a, a well-orchestrated deal uh, on both sides, um, and, it, and it saves USAR some money out of this critical juncture coming out of Chapter 11, then it's a good opportunity. I just don't know if it was part of a greater strategic plan. It just may be a plan that really is convenient. Well, I mean, I, so I think that's all right. I mean, I mean, I've, I've been to Glendale. Um, I've coached there. I've commentated there. The facilities are world class. I mean, they're really good. Um, and so, you know, I know um, the women are training there right now, right? And the ability to have, to have access to that. So I think in terms of the high performance side, I think it's a, I think it's a good fit. I mean, one of the challenges is the winter, right? Um, yeah. Now, as a, as a relatively new resident in Colorado, it's not that bad. Like it can be seventy in January. Like it's 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 not as bad. It's not like it's not like I grew up in in um in grew up. My my I flew in to State College in January, the very first day of the semester at Penn State to go to grad school. No one's there the first day of the semester. No one told me that. Like I was there the first day. Of class. Um, and, didn't get and the memo. Snowed, and, and and it just snowed, and I didn't see the grass until May, right? Because that's what Pennsylvania is like. Like like you snow and it never melts. Colorado's not like that. So it'll snow and then it will melt. And it'll... so I think from the high performance side, I think it's a big win. I think from the office side, I mean, I'm not sure what the deal is. I'm sure there's some sort of um, uh, break there. I think that they have a lot of facilities there that make it that make it really good for the games. So they've got a really great. Um, uh, uh, um, production suite there for TV. Yeah. It, it means that it's a lot cheaper. You have to get a truck. There's a lot of really good things. The 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 one downside that that I would see potentially, and I don't know what the deal is, right? So, um, is the uh, um, Infinity Park's not that big, right? Yeah. And so the question is, what's like? So for from the city of Glendale, it's a great deal for them because they can leverage that stadium with events, right? And they can have matches there, but we don't want to have USA England and Infinity, right? Right, like like we want that in a big stadium. And so I don't know what the deal is. I like I can't imagine that's true, but but it will. My guess is that there will be more, and there have always been a number of games at, at um, US games there. But there's probably going to be more US games there because that's probably what one of the things that the city of Glendale is getting out of the deal, right? Right. So they're probably you know they're providing a lot of this infrastructure. I would guess for free or for cheap, but in return, those those events have happened. So it, it means that maybe there's a little bit less movement around the country. I, I, I actually think there's some advantage to that because it saves money in terms of events and things like that. But um, like, I, like I don't, you know, in, like I'm, um, uh, you know, I always assume good intent. I think I think you know the timing was right for Glendale. Um, the MLR wasn't working for them. Um, the timing was right for USA Rugby. Uh, you know, I think I think has the potential to be a very, very good relationship. Excellent. Yeah. I got the next one here for you then, uh, Pete, locked and loaded. So I'm going to reference uh, my notes here that uh, let's see what we got here. So run, pass or kick, you know the rules by now. Let's move on to the MLR and stepping away from USA Rugby for a moment. So the MLR is a young league that is experiencing some growing pains, which is, of course, par for the course. Putting the challenges of COVID aside for the moment, and uh, let's imagine. So uh, one of the most significant uh, concerns is expansion. Uh, we know that, uh, well, not concerns, topics, should we say. 
Um, we know that George Killebrew has mentioned several cities in the expansion recently in an interview with Magleby on the Full Contact CEO. He mentioned a couple of names uh, that were thrown out, Kansas City, Chicago, you know, the list can go on of these uh, potential cities, including Miami. So what can the potential franchises learn? Here's my question, run past or kick from the mistakes in the past when it comes to teams like Colorado or even Austin with the changing season after season, uh, and more recently, Canaloa. Uh, what's your answer there? Run, pass, or kick? Um, so I'm going to run. Right? Like, it's it's going to be really hard. Like I said, I'm a running rugby guy. So, <laughs> okay, okay, we're okay with that. So, so I think, and this is true for club rugby around the world. It's true in the UK. Um, it's true in France. The biggest challenge that teams have is facilities. It's the biggest challenge, right? And so you cannot um, make money in club rugby around the world if you don't own your facility. And it's not just the tickets. It's like the beer. I mean, another little story. I was working the very first USA 7s in in StubHub in LA. And um, we are told StubHub, all the, like, hey, you need to have more beer. You need to have more beer. You need to have more beer. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we've got it. Absolutely, we've got it. it the gates opened at 10. They ran out of beer at 12. <laughs> like, literally, they were like, so, like, so, if you can't Chaos, I'm sure. beer, You can't and, exactly run to the liquor store in that way. Yeah, no, right, right. <laughs> so, so, if you can, if you can own the concessions, and most deals, when, when you're renting a stadium, there's some sort of percentage yeah. over a certain, it, it, right. but it's a fraction, right? If you can own the concessions, then you can run a successful rugby program. So I think, so I think that there's there's two challenges to expansion, the two biggest challenges, right? So one is you need deep pockets, right? You need the expansion fee, and you need to show that you're going to run that you, you have enough liquidity to run the team. Like, like that's not someone who's like got ten, twenty million dollars of assets, right? That those are the people that have hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? There aren't, there aren't that many, but but you need deep deep pockets. And the second thing is you need a really strong stadium um, mm-hmm. uh, plan, and it doesn't have to be at the start, right? And and I think this is sort of probably one of the things that Hawaii struggled with, right? Is the I, I don't think I don't think they had a plan. I mean, if you remember back to LA Coast, right? Right. And LA Coast, like basically paid paid their ex- exclusivity fee and then marketed to get money, right? So they didn't have the money. So I think if you have the money and you have a stadium plan, you can be an expansion team, right? Those are the two things because you, you need Around a Around that, all the other things might fare well into things, play. All the other things, you can find people that can do it. Like, like But if you don't have those two things, you're not going to be... And, and, and I think for, for all, the, all, the, all, you know, all the cities we've heard about, it's one of those two things that's held them back. Sometimes they've had the money, but they don't know where to play. And sometimes they have somewhere to play, but they don't have the money. And it's when mm. those two things come together. And I think the most interesting thing that I've heard is that what people have started to do is they've started to actually partner with developers. So lot, like someone's developing a multi-sport facility and they go there and they say, hey, you know, we would like to have a rugby pitch on there. Let's work out a deal and then maybe there's some ownership or there's some like like the developer becomes an investor. Right, becomes mutually like, beneficial the project. Mutually team. beneficial, right? And so I think the I think those are the two biggest challenges that expansion teams have. 
Right. And those are really, really great points. And, uh, you know, an example of, of building off that um, is the Utah Warriors recently announcing that they're going to be, of course, or at least planning to be able to build their own stadium that will be multi-purpose, as you so rightly pointed out. So while it, what the difference is here is, as you, you mentioned just a moment ago, uh, if I may elaborate on that just for a little bit, is that you said, okay, well, they partner with other organizations where they can say, hey, let's put in a rugby field. Let's make sure that it's a little bit larger. We can find a multi-purpose uh, facility. You know, that's great because you're reducing your costs, you're sharing the burden. But in this case, they'll actually be the one in control of their revenue streams because they would be the one who's building it. Um, so both those models are great, but obviously with the Utah Warriors setting the standard there, much like uh, the Sabercats had done beforehand, if we have more of that, everybody would be in a better position. Yeah, sure. I, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I, I think what Utah's doing is, is absolutely like, like the Sabercats. I mean, that stadium's just amazing, and and it's just going to get better. They can build on it. I think, I think you know, the Sabercats have some um, people that really see this as a long term investment. Yeah, um, it's just it's it's phenomenal. Um, but the Utah approach is a really smart one because you're going to build that asset, and the question is. How can you monetize it when rugby's not being played on it, right? And yeah. and so and, and that's like and that again creates sustainability. Right. I think all of these, you know, for the for the league, the ability to generate revenue is obviously the key thing for success, right? And so if teams can find ways to leverage the assets that they have, like a stadium, to generate revenue, then that's going to make them more sustainable. Perfect. Love that. So. Talking about expansion, uh, run, pass, or kick, you know uh, the rugby landscape in the United States. You've obviously you've been in, in College Station. Uh, you, you've been out in Colorado. You're now in L.A. You're well-versed in the media and, and Major League Rugby. Run, pass, or kick, what would you, be your choice for the next city to have an MLR uh, franchise? Okay, so, so this is great because I'm going to kick this, and if – one of you, you both get to answer, and if one of you gets it right, I'll send you some rugby gear from my rugby stash. Well, I already know what Scott's going to say. I'm sorry, what uh, man? Why he's, I was looking at Scott in the background over here, <laughs> throwing me off. Uh, so Rob's obviously going to say Chicago, right? I do think it's great, and I tell you, it. it you know, I'm not sure if it has to be Chicago or if it could just be anywhere in the Midwest, but it needs to be somewhere in the Midwest. And the reason I say that is because it's a bit of a desert in the, in the MLR landscape right now, uh, that hole inside the country. So, I, I, But I'm also biased because I live in the Midwest. So, uh, yeah, I mean, could it be Kansas City? Could it be St. Louis? Uh, could it be Chicago? Any any of those three are great options. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, so Rob, is it Chicago for you? Yeah, it's definitely Chicago. I mean, I actually spent and lived some time in St. Louis. My son is going to LU, so he's in St. Louis. My mom is down there a couple minutes away, and I've spent a little bit of time out near KC. So I've been in all three of those places. And I got to tell you, just not only am I a total homer, but um, I, I just think the rugby community in Chicago could be, if, if brought together under uh, this banner for an MLR team, uh, would be a really, really powerful rugby community for the Major League Rugby uh, landscape. So, so I don't, I don't disagree that Chicago is um, like it's, it's a great spot. It should have a team, but not, neither of you are going to get um, a piece of stash. 
Because huh? I think I think the number one city that should have an MLR team is Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, right and, 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 and and let me tell you why. Right. Yeah. So what's one of the so so a couple of things is the um it's a it's a gateway international city which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, I mean, if you've been to the Vancouver Sevens, like they put forty thousand people in there. It's it's unbelievable. The infrastructure in Vancouver around rugby, um, there the the Pacific League that they have there is all great. But probably like one of the biggest concerns we all have about um, uh, about Major League Rugby and its expansion is the player pool. And there's so many good players in um, in Vancouver and um, out there in for Canada that 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 isn't going to be a problem. I, I think we need two Canadian teams. I think I think that that's right. good for North America. And um, I think <laughs> that like to me. Vancouver is just a real no great. It's been really surprising to me. And I've actually talked to a couple of groups that have looked at like teams. It's been really surprising to me that someone hasn't stepped up in Vancouver. I understand that there's actually like, you know, a little bit Rob, like I think Rob said something that is true, but probably not going to happen, which is if the Chicago rugby community could unite. <laughs> right? so, so that's not an easy thing. Knowing no, about it's not. The Chicago rugby community. I think the right. same thing is going on in Vancouver, but I think, I think Vancouver would just be an amazing, you know, both Chicago and Vancouver are, would be phenomenal. But for me, I just think Vancouver is a little bit um, easier. It's it, it's going to be hands down a successful yeah. franchise. There's, and there's we don't really agree no with you. Yeah, we, we covered this topic, uh, you know, going back many, many weeks. And it always is an exciting one for fans to be able to hear about. And for good reason, right? right? They love to be able to hear about the prospect of a new team somewhere close to them. Vancouver is definitely one of those that we've spoken about. You know, it's proximity to to uh, Seattle. You know, it can fit nicely into a conference set up over there. So, yeah, great merits. I mean, I like that. Um, yeah, so that that's as a commentator. Like, there's a little bit for me that's like, where do I want to go in February? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? like, 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 where do I want to do a game in? February? But but it, there is there is something to that, right? Because if you look right. at the seasons, like, and you talk about Chicago, Chicago is another one of those places that won't be able to play April at the earliest, right? And so then then that Chicago team is on the road, right, for the first yeah. five or six weeks. Vancouver doesn't have that issue. Right, Vancouver's weather's a little bit better um, that early, so I think there's, you know, we it, it it is nice to have another team that you don't have to wait. Now the challenge is that all of the weather problems are East Coast teams, right, or Central and East Coast teams, and and, and that causes a I think a bit of a challenge eventually for that East Coast conference, right? You're sure. going to have half the teams are going to be on the road for half the season, and then it's just it's it's it's, it's, it's I think it's a challenge. It's a reality of where we are in the window. Yeah. yeah. And, so you, first of all, let me just say you've made two of our uh, big fans and former ranters very, very happy. Karen Gasparino, and I said it right this time, <laughs> and Doug Wilkie are going to be very happy with with your response. And quite the, frankly, uh, I think you brought Arrow's, up uh, fan yeah. club there. Yeah. You brought up to the great point of the weather, though. You just don't have the challenges that you do. What will be interesting to see, though, is that with this season starting in April, if it kicks off and and works its all, way through all the way to August, is is if the MLR sticks with that time period, because certainly does resolve some of those challenges that you brought up for northeastern cities or a place like Chicago. Um, it makes it holy hell to play in some place like NOLA during the day, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, so, well, so 
it, there is, it's also like, you don't want to be in Dallas in, in, in July, you know, like, like there's like, I've been down, I've been down to NOLA in for a game. I think it was like late May. It was like 90, 90 degrees, 90% humidity. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're sweating. This was back early on. There was no AC in the, in the press box that we were, I mean, it was so, so it, it does sort of work out with, with, with those teams. Um, but it's just it's just a bit of a grind. I mean, you yeah. saw a lot of the teams be really smart. They would like, you know, um, basically make a road trip for two weeks before they went home. They tried to break it up. So I th- there's definitely ways that 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 you can get around it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's move forward. Um, the run, pass, or kick is MLR commentators. What was the best game of rugby you've ever called in Major League Rugby? And what was different about that game that set it apart from others that you've actually commentated? So this gives me gives me a great opportunity because your question was as commentators, and as your fans can see, there's only one of us. Yeah. 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 So my partner in crime, Dan Power, dropped me in it. But he was also pretty confident I could carry it myself, as you can probably tell. He's well, like, you're doing a great job. Like maybe you should just do it yourself. So so for me, I think probably the best game I called was the semi-final between Rooney and San Diego last yeah. year, um, where there it was like uh, Rooney went up with a couple of minutes to go, and there was that bounce pass. I think it went to JP Duplessis with like no time left. I mean, it, it was so. So the thing about that game that, and I I, I called that game with Mark Stabina, and um, and and Mark's like Mark and I, I think both at the end of that game we looked at each other when we're like. If America sees this, they'll fall in love with rugby. Yeah. I mean, this like like the, the stadium there um, at uh, USD is just beautiful. It was packed. It was an exciting game. There was lots of scoring. There were hits everywhere. Um, it was it was and and it was such an interesting game for me as a coach because Rooney came in as complete underdogs. Like everyone was like, San Diego's gonna like you know just roll over them. Like, like Rooney kind of like, I think just about got into the playoffs, but Mike Tolkien had a plan and his team believed and they almost pulled off. And I would actually say it would, it would probably have been one of the biggest upsets in major league rugby history. And, um, you know, fair, uh, um, fair call to San Diego for having the mental toughness to come back and win that at the end. But that was like, yeah, that was just, I mean, it was just an amazing game. Like there, there are games that you call, where you have to put a lot of effort in because it's not really a great game and, and, and you have to find things to talk about and the game feels long. I probably couldn't like at the end of that game, I probably couldn't tell you what I talked about. It was just, it was just all came out, right? It's just, you're just in the game. You're just like part of the nice thing about being a commentator is you want to be a fan. Like you are a fan. I'm a rugby fan. I just got so excited about that game and it, there's so much to talk about. And so, and so that was, I think that game is probably the best game I've called well, you certainly made the big guy very happy because you're talking about his, uh, his Rooney boys. And uh, quite frankly, it made me happy because you've talked about uh, Nola's most recent signing, J.P. Duplessis. So in, in one big bite. Oh, yeah. It's, so so this is really interesting. And, and, you know, with my coaching hat on, I have a lot of time for um, J.P. Uh, Duplessis. I think, I think he's a great player. I think he's actually pretty underrated. Um, he's really phenomenal in the tackle contest. He poaches two or three balls, which is really impressive. He's basically like a back row forward. Um, interestingly, that kind of role of the number 12 has kind of moved away in the game, right? That they're, they're more rounded. However, for Nola, 
they had a lot of great ball players, but they didn't have anyone that was really physical in that midfield. Right. And I think JP Duplessis is going to be that. I was, I mean, I think it's a great pick. I mean, it's probably one of those deals that's a win-win. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, I think I think he, I think he's going to fit in. Really right. Hard. What I love about it, though, as well, it's an extended contract of four years. So well, Nola do this, right? So, so you look down at Nola and Brian Fitzgerald, yeah. who's the general manager. Like all, almost all of their guys are multi-year. Like yeah. they're building something there with Nate. Oscar. Exactly. Um, it's and, definitely and, bigger and, picture stuff. Yeah, I, and I think that I think that you know they've got they've got um, you know ownership that's willing to make that investment. Um, mm-hmm. The facility down there, I think, is going to be phenomenal. Like it's it is a baseball stadium, but the, but it's now a rugby stadium. dedicated to rugby. Yeah, down there, and 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 they've got some plans for it that I think makes it really like just well. I think one of the like, interesting like, like, points. I can't wait to see what it's like in two years. I really think it's yeah. going to be a world class facility. And to that point, we we had uh, fortunate enough last week to have Tim Falcon on the on the show with us, and he brought up that very same point: is that you know the stadium there. Uh, they're they're happy. The city itself, of course, who owns the stadium, is very happy to be able to have a tenant like uh, Nola right. and is reinvesting in that stadium. So, you know, for it to be their home for as long as they want it, uh, which is great to be able to hear and have those those uh, relationships be deepened with uh, the organizations that support you around the club. So, yeah, I mean, that's really awesome that they have that. And one other thing, Ty, that I think is really critical that people probably don't understand, what Nola are going to be able to do in their stadium is – um, something that only a very few clubs can do in MLR, which is they can have their offices, they can have their weight room, they can have their right. practice field, they can have their training room. They can like it's all right there, and that opens up a lot of doors for you to be really efficient in how you manage your high performance. It allows everything to be connected. It's not like you're going over here for your meetings and then everyone has to get in their car. Everything's disjointed. Then yeah, and then everyone has to get in their car and then they, like like. The ability to be like, there's a thing called tactical period periodization, which is sort of basically connecting what you do in the weight room onto the field for that day, right? So the idea is that we go do a weight workout that is working on the things that we're going to go and do when we practice. I just, I, I, I think those things are going to, you'll see that, you'll see it seeing it in San Diego. They don't quite have that, but they're developing a, a high performance center. You're going to see some of these places and they're going to be um, recruiting tools. Like recognize right. yeah. that in major league rugby, you don't make a lot of money. Um, and that for many people, the difference between like 20 and $30,000 a year, $20,000 with an amazing facility where I can get better and become a US Eagle or, or a Canadian you know, national team player is, is attract more attractive to me than $30,000 without that. And so I think right. that, that people are investing in those sorts of things because they see it as a way of being able to help their recruitment and be able to track. It's additional to value to a player right. uh, that they might not get elsewhere that, of course, as you so rightly pointed out, can further their, their journey to becoming a professional player uh, at the highest levels. So, you, know, you know, I wanted to interject. You brought, I mean, that's a phenomenal point, uh, Pete, because just today I was at, uh, listening to uh, Harry Bennett's podcast and I was listening to an early one because I listen to quite frequently in my commute. And he had Ross Deacon on. And Ross, of course, went from Rooney and then he went down to uh, uh, Rugby ATL. And that's one of the things that he talked about, just the, the challenges being at Rooney of oh, having to travel back and forth. And getting on right? Where, whereas, you know, he, you know he was, he's going to chiropractic school down there at, at Life, but everything's right there and he lives 10 minutes away. So it really mm-hmm. cuts down on, on the time he has to travel and makes life a lot simpler uh, for him and cuts down a lot of his costs. 
personally, and then there's training advantages. And, and I'll just, I'll, I'll add something and I'm, I'm going to throw in a little pitch on a project that I'm working on. Um, so people look at professional athletes and I think in particular professional rugby players and what you see is what happens on the pitch, right? In the games. Um, their lives are actually unbelievably stressful, right? Imagine, imagine, you know, it's it's not like being at work. It's it well, it is. I mean, I, I get an opportunity to do executive coaching. It's like all they're all like the CEO, right? Because they can all make a decision that could lose the game. Right? Which is unusual. Like normally there's in most organizations, there's like one or two decision makers. But those decisions aren't just what happens on the field, it's what happens off the field. And so the holistic approach to help manage that stress is is really critical. And it's one of the reasons why. And Dan and I are both co-founders with um, some MLR pliers um, and some other people who have been in MLR administration. We founded something called the Athlete Collective. And the goal of the Athlete Collective is to provide these holistic services where we talk about financial wellness. Like if you're stressed about money, you're not going to be a good rugby player, right? Um, you know, we also do strength and conditioning, um, high perform, you know, all the high performance stuff. We do personal brand. We do, we do we're like, but we, we start with player wellness. And I think Rooney is an example where there's no way those players can go through that week and be at their best. Like, like, and it's not a knock on Rooney. It's probably the same for every team that's in New York. Like all the pro teams, it's just like a really difficult place to get around, right? So, but, 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 you know, there's an advantage about being in Atlanta where everything's right there. It reduces the stress on the athlete. When you reduce on the stress on the athlete, what you do is you get a better performance at practice. When you get a better performance at practice, you get a better performance in the game. So, so again, you know, it, we haven't quite got there in Major League Rugby because it's been really competitive, but actually the teams aren't quite at that point, I don't think, where that 1% is a difference, right? Which is, you know, we, we're still level setting. Um, but I think eventually that idea of player wellness is going to be really critical to have it be sustainable. You know, it's uh, it's funny you say that too because I've I've often tried to think about the idea that David Brailsford from British Cycling mm-hmm. brought into yeah. the Tour de France and that idea of you know that one percent those incremental gains right and when you're at the top level that you know what separates the best teams or the best players from the second best or the third best are those small incremental gains. And it's taking the collective of those small incremental gains and being able to then uh, bring them together to make a monumental gain in uh, player ability and, um, and performance. Yeah. And I think so. So to me, that's absolutely true, but I think for most major league rugby, rugby teams, and it's a startup, right? They're still building some of the foundational stuff. You know, right. so so an example is if you have one SNC coach and you've got 45 players, like that's like like you need three SNC coaches. Yeah. Right? Um one SNC coach that's solely focused on injured players. Like like this is what a professional setup. They have right. one SNC coach, and this is sort of how you get into rugby SNC, is you end up just working with the injured players, but that's how you get those people back quickly. You have a head SNC coach that oversees like the whole group and works with the elite group. And then you have like a, an assistant SMC that probably works with um, the part-time players or the guys on the fringe. Like, and, and it's, that's like what it looks like if you go to the, like the top, top high-level rugby around the world. No one's got that, but you can see the teams each year making steps towards it. So I think that the, the Brailsford, uh, you know, I love that. I, 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 do, I talk about that in my, uh, 
consulting work. But I think that to get to that area where it's all about these incremental gains, you've got to have that strong foundation. And I think for most of those teams, they're still building that strong foundation. Right. 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 So cool. I wanted to be able to take the opportunity here uh, as we draw closer towards the end of our interview and uh, ask you a couple of more questions before we head out and before you okay. <laughs> be able to give your, your final thoughts as well. Sure. So the next one is uh, run, pass or kick. And this is in reference to your, uh, your efforts as a broadcaster in oh, Major League Rugby. Okay. So we were curious because it's been coming up quite often when we look at uh, the expenses in the league and then how we can also increase revenue. And the topic of broadcast always comes up. Mm-hmm. So the quality about it, you know, the, the reach that it has, uh, who is you know, carrying the, the, the games, all of these things are important factors and people want to know how do they access the games. And the question that, that lies here um, is, let me get my place. So what can be done both in the short term and the long term to improve the broadcast coverage of Major League Rugby run, pass or kick, but I assume it's going to be run. <laughs> I mean, I think I, so. So people are like, just so people understand some of the dynamics. Right. Um, basically, Major League Rugby pays for all of the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so they have to pay. Um, that's not an insignificant amount of money. I actually don't know what Major League Rugby costs, but if you wanted to do it cheaply, it's probably like twenty thousand dollars. And if you, it's one of those things you get what you pay for, right? Right. If you want to do it really well, it's probably like $150,000. Major League Rugby is probably somewhere in the middle of that. And each team makes their decision about what they do for their local broadcasts. Um, I was really excited by the owners of Major League Rugby, the MLR, to come out and say, hey, we need we need more, more coverage. And what they did mm-hmm. is they went to Fox Sports, right? And um, they went to ESPN News and they said, hey, we want to we want to get on your like we want to expand the coverage now recognize that every owner in the league put their hand in the pocket to make that happen yeah right so 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 they recognize that they needed to have that expansion i i do think and i don't know like you know there's definitely you know we're we're all old enough that we remember when there were like like there's only one way to see live sport and that was on your tv sitting in, in 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 your living room um you know, and, and we've seen some of the teams play around with like Facebook right. Watch, um, like Facebook for overseas. Like some of that stuff is really interesting to me. I think the challenge is that the audience we have isn't monitor- isn't big enough to really monetize mm-hmm. that. The biggest opportunity we have is the final on CBS and getting half a million people to watch MLR. Like that's yes. that's the biggest marketing we can do. And so, you know, I think getting on, you know, Fox Sports and ESPNU is great because you get the casual person that finds it, right? The problem on any of the online stuff is it's really hard to have someone find it, right? I mean, it, it, it was the challenge with sort of like the rugby channel is the rugby channel was never going to expand rugby fans. It was only going to be right. there for rugby right. fans. Catering so, to a right. small yeah, market. So I, yeah. I, so, so I think the league's being pretty smart in terms of trying to expand um, their coverage. But, um, you know, and, and, and the only way that really happens is if the owners put their hands in their pockets. So I think, you know, this is sort of like one of those things where everyone's like, you know, no one really understands how the, I don't really understand how the league works. It's not like I'm there, but I know that there's, you know, that the revenue that the league brings in doesn't cover the costs. And if they're going to add like, yeah, games, at this time, it's a pure expense. There's no revenue generated expense. from 
um, well, it's, it's a pure investment, right? So they see right. it as an investment to add value. But I think that it's when you see things like that, what I hope is that the MLR rugby fans are like, wow, the owners really believe in this. Like that to me was a real commitment that said, hmm, they didn't have to do this. Like they could get through another year, be on CBS Sports. But they actually said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We want to expand and we're all putting our hands in our pockets to make that happen. I thought that was a pretty impressive commitment by the current owners of the league. Yeah, and, and I personally love the fact that they're they you know they each week they have the CBS game of the week right, which is nice. It gets that national exposure, gets it on a platform that's easy to find. But as an MLR fan, and of course a fan of my guys down in NOLA, I get to see them every week because of ESPN Plus. Right, and it, and it is five bucks a month for me is a nominal cost to get that service. Yeah, and it, and it'll be interesting. I mean, look, I. You know, there's there's one group that isn't involved with Major League um, Rugby, one network, and that's NBC. Right. And it's pretty obvious to me that NBC, like, wants to be the rugby network. Yeah. So at some point, you feel like NBC is going to come to Major League right. Rugby. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll all be paying Peacock or whatever. I'm not, not exactly sure what that is, but like, you know, or NBC Sports Gold or whatever that is. Right. And MLR, M- MLR will, will probably be there if that's NBC, because NBC are really willing, like you can see the investment they're making in rugby, right? They actually and, like, and, and, it, and it's, you know, CBS Sports is a great partner. I love their game of the week. Like they're very supportive, but, you know, um, and being on CBS is huge, right? And so I think that if, if CBS is willing to put, you know, us on the big network, like that's a, like NBC would have to be willing to do right. the same thing. I don't know right. if they, if they would. So I think it's like some of that, some of that stuff's like pretty interesting to me as you see the league develop over the next five years. Absolutely. And as you talk about the future of major league rugby, we're going to wrap up with a final question and I'm going to really put you on the spot here, Pete. Oh. Um, so, you Pause. know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been one yet, so you're going to run with us. So you can't change your form now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I absolutely can. That's not okay. Hold on. So, so is this? There's no time left, and and yeah. like you've got to keep the ball in hand. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So, assuming all things are a go for Major League Rugby 2021, run, pass, or kick, who are your picks to be the four playoff teams? Two in the East, two in the West. You know what I love about this question, right, is it's hard. <laughs> yeah. The best thing about the league, right? Yeah. The best thing about the, the league is that, it, is, that it's, is that it's hard. You know, um, I, I, you know, let me, let me, let me, can I, t- I'm looking at the clock. I have a few minutes, right, just to talk to you. About <laughs> um, I, I think one of the teams is going to be Toronto. And I think um, when you look at the success of rugby teams, continuity is really critical. Yeah. Right. To me, it takes two to three years for a professional rugby team to really learn to play the way the coach wants to play. And people are like, what do you mean? What I mean by that is um, as a player on attack or defense, if I have to think about where I'm going to go, I'm going to get there too late in professional rugby. It has to be instinctual. Right. I have to do it so many times that I just put myself in the right place. If I have to stop and say, where am I supposed to go? Then it's too late. So. To me, one of the key things is continuity. And um, I think the continuity of player, um, staff, I think the way, the way like, Toronto does stuff, like, I, 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 think, I think they're going to, yeah, we saw it, right? We, we really yeah. saw it in, in the truncated season. I think that yeah. they're, 
probably going to be um, one of those. Um, so you got Toronto. So I think I think San Diego. Um, I think okay. uh, like they've had they've, you know they've had a turnover of coaching. It's going to be interesting with. Um, uh, well, they're investing big in their team, and obviously coaching. they've got the right talent on board. So, so they've and 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 again they've got the high performance center. And like I said, like the thing about things like the high performance center you're going to have in San Diego is I don't think you're necessarily going to get improved performance, but what you're going to get is you're going to get less injury. You're going to get mm-hmm. players that are better prepared. And if you look at Seattle and their success the first two years, I think there's two things that that Seattle did that allowed them to win. So one is they had unbelievable mental toughness. They just had a group of players that refused to to give in. Like, doesn't matter whether they were down, they were just really relentless. You, you know, I heard that that happened at practice. Like, I just like, like they just had a really good mindset, and they didn't have many injuries, right? Like, like, like if you yeah. don't have many injuries, like let's let's talk about Rob's Nola, yeah. right? Year two started great. I mean, I think lost their tight end prop, right? Didn't have the ability to replace that in in a decent way. Didn't have a launch platform. Couldn't play the fast game they wanted to play. Literally one player, right? Right, and so and so I think that being healthy is is um, important. Um, the second one I'm going to choose is uh, Atlanta, and that's a I'm dagger in the Atlanta. heart. <laughs> dagger in the heart. Because <laughs> uh, you know, down in Nola, Nola really stands. Doesn't stands for New Orleans, Louisiana. It actually stands for no nobody. No one likes Atlanta, just so you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, um, I really like Nola. I think that um, they have, uh, like, I, I love what they're doing. I think next year just might be one year too early for them. I think they've got some young players that are developing, like, like some real, quali- like they have real quality there. I just think that they're that it, it might be a year too early for them. Um, you know, I coached Scott Lawrence for the USA Hawks. I mean, probably one of the smartest guys. I, I mean, I, I actually think that guy is brilliant. Like, not brilliant in rugby. He's just a, like, I, I get an opportunity in my job to meet really smart business people, right? And so in rugby, you don't often meet really smart people, right? Lots of very passionate people, but not necessarily people that are super smart. And Scott would match up with any of the CEOs. Like, the guy is just... Like he's going to do it right. He's going to be data driven. I I think that what they've got at life is is an advantage. I think the connection with life is an advantage. Yeah. Like I think I think all of that stuff. I think I think they're going to be good. I I don't think I'm not as certain about that as I am about um uh about uh um Toronto. Like Toronto, I'm like I'm kind of writing them in. Life, I think oh you know I think Old Glory have a lot of potential. I mean I think like the great thing any other team can do it. Um. One more team in the West, man. I can't even remember what like what teams are in the West. Can I say Vancouver? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a few years you can, but not now. <laughs> we got the three so, Texas teams. You got Utah. Yeah, no, I, I like this is even more of a toss up. Part of it is we just don't know what LA is going to be like. Um, right, Austin. Like we're not sure what a lot of variables. That's for sure. There's, there's, I think there's actually more variables and more change. Um, I think I would probably like so 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 I'd say I think I think Seattle would always be a tough out. But by the way, we're in extra time at the moment. 
<laughs> All right, I'm going to say, because Dan's not here, right, I'm going to go with the Austin Gilgronies because Dan was the original Gilgroniac. He was the first guy to get on board, and yeah. I know that would be his pick. So yeah. I'm completely... All right, in his absence, you can pick one pick. for him. Dan's pick, but we'll call it the Austin um, Gilgronies. All right, we'll accept that and lock that in. And, you know, Pete, it's been a tremendous... Uh, opportunity to be able to pick the brain of somebody who's so heavily entrenched in rugby and for so long like yourself. Uh, but we wanted to give is you that, an opportunity before we head out. So long. Been yeah. so long in rugby. <laughs> sure. Well, we wanted to give you an opportunity before we head out. Do you have any shout out you want to give to friends, family, anybody else out there uh, that you want to send a message to? Here's your chance. Well, you know, this is all about networking. So I'd ask everyone here that's following here, like add MLR kickoff to your um uh to your podcast um check out the athlete collective i think it's a really exciting um opportunity for players that want to be elite uh you you probably heard my wife and daughter who were uh, um just on the other side i think my, my my daughter likes to be on these sorts of things she's used to like walking <laughs> in um, yeah. and doing it but no i think i think the work that you guys and everyone that's involved in in sort of the um the environment and the community of major league rugby you know, what I would say is that if everyone that followed MLR could add two fans, two people that they know that think they might like it and and recruit them to follow MLR, like that's the best thing we can all do for the future of the league. Right. And, the power and, of compa- you know, compound interest. That's yeah. Absolutely. What a great mission. Yeah. And I think that that's that's what we all need to do. Like I said, right now, this this league is being funded by owners pockets. And right. that's not sustainable. And it's also, we don't have enough fans in North America for MLR to be sustainable. We have to grow that fan base and we all need to take that responsibility. Right. And it's uh, it's things like this in a small way that contribute to it. But most of all, as you said, bring a friend to a game, pay for your uh, subscription to watch it uh, a game, whatever it is, every little bit does help. Uh, so we wanted to be able to to talk about helping. And uh, on that note, we have something to be able to share that'll give us an opportunity to be able to give back uh, through a special charity. And to be able to talk about that, we're going to hand the mic over to Rob Hammerschmidt to let us know how it works. So uh, remember at the beginning of the month, we actually announced in conjunction with Chance Wegaluski uh, that he was giving us a signed jersey, signed rugby ATL jersey, uh, Apparently, Pete has picked them to be in the top four. <laughs> so right. it's, uh, <laughs> really yeah, he was. He was well, no, he in the beginning, and he's like, "What am I thinking about?" Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whether it's you know some kind of uh, Freudian slip or some kind of subtle uh, mind <laughs> mind meld there. Um, nevertheless, uh, we wanted to announce the winner of the jersey. Uh, we we use a randomizer, all sorts of scientific jargon, but the bottom line is we want to congratulate Paul Richardson. For uh, he he amongst some others uh, shared um, put some comments in and ultimately he is this month's winner for the signed jersey. So uh, Paul, we just you know contact us and let us know you're there and we'll get in contact with you so we can get you your jersey as soon as possible. Congratulations to Paul and don't forget everybody. Uh, you know October starts Breast Cancer Awareness Month and please join us in doing all that we can in the rugby community to uh, help the women in our lives. Um, that might be, you know, uh, given this tough challenge ahead of them, help them tackle breast cancer. 
So excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that, and congratulations to uh, to Paul. Uh, I want to be able to take a moment before we head out to be able to remind you, as the Rugby Rant fans, to be able to like, follow, and share us on all social media under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Make sure, of course, you like and follow the MLR Kickle Podcast as well, because you're going to hear more from this guy, and hopefully, Dan might join him there. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you at the next. Next episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Thank you very much and bye-bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.